a lot of investors, in my opinion, make the mistake of looking at the current rent roll or the current expenses that uh, an, an owner or a seller may share with you. Welcome to Investing in the U.S., an Aussie's Guide to U.S. Real Estate, a podcast for international investors and real estate entrepreneurs looking to break into the U.S. market. Welcome to Investing in the U.S., an Aussie's Guide to U.S. Real Estate, a podcast for international investors and real estate entrepreneurs looking to break into the U.S. market. G'day, g'day, guys, and welcome to another cracking edition of Investing in the U.S., an Aussie's Guide to U.S. Real Estate. From Los Angeles, I'm your host, as always, Reed Goosens. Good as always to have you with us on the show. Each week, we bring you cracking investing info to help you start successfully investing in U.S. real estate as an international investor. If you're new to the show, then welcome, welcome, welcome. I know you're going to get a lot of great information out of this show. And if you're a returning listener, then thank you for your loyalty and commitment. You already know you're in the right place. Let's get into today's show. The topic of today's show is better understanding how to analyze a multifamily deal and really what red flags to look out for before submitting an offer. The expert in the hot seat to answer all my questions and give you the straightforward information and advice is Kevin Tracy. G'day, Kevin. Welcome to the show. Hey, Reid. How are you going? Good, mate. So, guys, you probably uh, hear that Kevin is actually a fellow Aussie expat, and uh, he moved to the U.S. nine years ago. Kevin has been successfully investing in single-family and multifamily properties since 2009. He now lives in San Francisco, but invests all over the United States and has amassed a portfolio of over 88 units, and I love having other Aussies on the show talking about their successes, so great stuff, mate. But Kevin, before we jump into all the nuts and bolts of today's show, can you tell us something that most people might not know about you unrelated to being a successful real estate entrepreneur? Wow, Reid, that's a tough question. Sure. Um, there's, a, <laughs> there's, a, there's a sport that's very passionate in Australia that we are called touch uh, football, also known as touch rugby. And over the past 10 years or so when I've been living here, we, I, I, I helped develop the Touch Rugby League in New York and now San Francisco where I live, and I actually represented the U.S. team at the World Cup. Awesome, uh, mate. Last year, um, we we got killed, of course, by the Australians and the, and the New Zealanders, but um, yeah, it was definitely a uh, a great achievement. That's incredible. That's uh, so you you help did you help start the Touch Association of America? I take it um, back in the day or. How did that form? No, there was there was definitely an association here. I I, I helped out with USA Touch now, but I, I was definitely one of the founding kind of players in New York, um, which is now the biggest club uh, wow. in the US. So there was a few of us around, um, you know, and we started that in 2005, I think. And uh, yes, it's, it's really come a long way since then. Awesome. And just for all those listeners out there, uh, Kevin and I actually met playing touch rugby in the Big Apple. So, and we didn't even know that we uh, were two Aussies that also invested in real estate. That's pretty incredible. But with that being said, do you want to tell us a little bit more about your background, where you've come from, how you moved to the United States, and then how you got started successfully investing in real estate? Yeah, sure. So I was backpacking through Europe, actually, uh, in 2005, at the beginning of 2005. And um I was lucky enough to meet uh, my beautiful wife during my travels, and she's American. 
um, born in Poland, but um, she's Susan in, in the U.S. and I uh, I followed her here and we we got married and I've been here ever since. I love it here; it's great. Uh, and then from a real estate perspective, I actually worked with advertising in Sydney, Australia, and then I worked in advertising again for the for the first probably five years that I lived in the U.S. And then I got into real estate kind of as a side um, hobby. I knew I liked real estate. It was definitely an, an interesting time to invest. Actually, I, I was actually looking to invest in Florida in 2007 because it was hard. I mean, I was very, I was lucky experienced back then. And, you know, I really, I, I heard a lot of great reports about property appreciation in Florida and I really wanted to get involved. But luckily, I didn't, as we all know, in, in 2008, the market crashed and, you know, I, I, I would have lost a lot of money. Um, and thankfully, that kind of spurned my interest in real estate and my activity in real estate at that point. So a friend of mine in uh, Tampa, Florida, was actually flipping um, foreclosed houses. And uh, he, he actually approached me because he knew that I had um, a small inheritance um, that I'd received, which I was pretty lucky to get. It was a small amount of capital, um, but it was enough to get me started. So I definitely had a leg up on, on most people in that regard. And so my friend in Tampa approached me and uh, he uh, was looking for, for a hard money loan. And I was interested in, in, in learning about what he was doing. So I came to him with a proposal to actually become business partners with him and just in an attempt to learn what he was doing because I was really excited about what he was doing. So I was still working full-time in advertising at the time, but um, I would travel down to Florida I'd spend time with him. We'd go look at foreclosed houses, um, which would, lit- would literally pull up to the house. We'd take a peek through the window because, of course, you can't get inside because they're foreclosures. They have locks on the doors. Um, you check out the roof, um, the, you know, the general condition of the property. And then we would head down to the courthouse the next day. Um, and we would quite literally bid on these houses at the courthouse. And if we, if, if we won the bid, we would pay for the house in cash that day. So that was quite an experience. We did we we did do very well doing that. We were able to buy a few properties well below market. Um, we're talking three four bedroom houses with a pool in Tampa, which is a pretty desirable city in Florida, for around sixty thousand dollars cash. Wow! And this was and back in so, two thousand and eight and nine, right? Yeah, I'd say two thousand and nine. Um, the market fully crashed. Um, the banks were inundated with properties and they didn't know what to do with them. Um, now they have professional real estate agents that sell foreclosures and it's quite difficult to get them now. But back then they were just trying to get them off their books. Um, and so there were literally, if you've seen the movie, um, I think it's Get Short, or, or I think it's got The Big Shot. Yeah, the, the one that just recently won the Academy Awards. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, that. That that was a pretty um, accurate representation of what was happening in Florida. There were literally neighborhoods full of foreclosures where there was just it was just totally vacant. So we did pretty well doing that. And then just to cut a long story short, we did that for a few years, and then our last property we couldn't actually sell for what we wanted to after putting in our capital investment and to mitigate the losses, we decided to rent it out. And I think. We were trying to sell it for 120k maybe, and we were renting it out at 1600 a month. And there was a huge, and I remember we we advertised on Craigslist, um, and we had like emails every 10 minutes for people looking to rent. 
So it was kind of a clear indication that one, um, people weren't buying anymore. Uh, it was harder to come by good foreclosures because banks kind of had a handle on the foreclosures at that point and weren't selling them at a huge discount anymore. And two, a lot of people in Florida got burnt with the crash. They had terrible credit. Um, the new regulations that the banks had implemented made it very difficult for them to borrow money. And so they were renting. And so the rental market just went through the roof. So at that point, my investor and I, who taught me everything, we went our separate ways. He started his own business doing something else completely. And I started investing in uh, multifamily buildings with the capital that I generated. And, you know, with the, with the idea of trying to build as much yield as possible. And then it just grew from there. But that's kind of, yeah, how it got started. It's quite a long story. But, yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of the nuts and bolts. That's fine. That's, that's awesome, mate. I, um, I love hearing those types of stories. That's, and it's really sort of fortuitous, I guess, maybe fell over a little bit exactly. backwards into the, uh, the foreclosure market in Tampa Bay, which is now one of the hottest markets in the United States, I would, would you know, safely say. And just getting in at the right time prior to all the banks sort of clubbing onto how cheaply they were selling these houses, these foreclosures, and 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 then all of a sudden you, you had a hundred twenty thousand dollar home and you're selling it for sixteen hundred bucks. Well, my rule of thumb is that if you if if you can get one percent in rent from what the property is worth, then you're doing really well. And that's definitely hundred hundred what sixteen hundred divided by a hundred and twenty thousand dollars. That's more than one percent. So you're you're killing it. That's awesome. Right. Yeah. No. It's definitely a good time. I mean, we got lucky and. You know, there was a lot of institutional investors back then that were coming in buying portfolio of, of foreclosures from the banks. So the market had really changed at that point and we, we kind of had to pivot. And we did successfully, thankfully. Fantastic, fantastic. Well, let's get a little bit more into what today's show is all about. Uh, so Kevin, a lot of my listeners out there, they, they may have never analyzed a multifamily deal. So let's put us, uh, ourselves in their shoes. What's the first thing someone needs to do when looking at a potential multifamily deal? And let's just, you know, for the for the sake of it, say it's 10 units, you know, more than, more than a residential, but not stupidly large. Yeah, great question. So you, we're obviously making the assumption that someone has, um, done their homework and, and knows the local market really well. I mean, I think that's the key is being very well accustomed with your local market because every market's different. You really can't look at the U.S. as a macro level. If, if we've made that assumption and you have a deal that you're looking at, a lot of investors, in my opinion, make the mistake of looking at the current rent roll or the current expenses that uh, an, an, an owner or a seller may share with you. I feel that with that size property, my value is analyzing that deal and figuring out what I believe I can rent those units out for and what I believe I can get the expenses to. So increasing income, lowering expenses, that's the value that I bring to my investors when I find a deal. Um, And that comes from very specialized local knowledge of the market. Um, and so it's, it's, it's averaging a lot of research that you've done on, on, on other comparables in the area. So I don't necessarily look at the rent rolls or expenses that are currently with the property. It's more about analyzing based on my own research. Now, in terms of the rent roll, it is, it is important to know what kind of leases are on the property. There could be a crazy lease out there with crazy terms that the landlord signs. That's all information that you can get upfront from the seller. Um, you don't want like a two-year lease at a really low rate. You don't want something that's got, you know, 15 days 
to give notice before they move out. You just want to make sure there's nothing crazy in their lease. There's a normal lease and they're about to go to month to month. They have six months left in their lease. That's kind of a good place to be. Um, and then obviously knowing the local laws uh, in regards to um, leasing. For instance, in San Francisco, where I live, uh, there's a lot of rent control apartments and it's very difficult if you're an investor to buy an apartment that already has a tenant in it because you don't know how long they're going to stay. They can stay for 30 years and the rent will only increase by, say, 10 to 15% over that time. Whereas in Florida, the leasing laws are much more relaxed. And I'm able, I, I have more flexibility with my tenants um, when their lease is up to increase rent to the market level. Um, you know, obviously within the guidelines of the lease, you know, give them plenty of notice, et cetera. You know, I think, I think the, main, the main point is to know your market really well, do your own research. Don't rely on the owner's data that they're giving you. One, it could be wrong. They could be just make, making things up or, you know, embellishing to make a sale look better. Um, yeah, do your own do your own research and and just analyze, you know, based based on what um, on, on what on what research you've done yourself. Fantastic, and I think you just covered some incredible points there. You know, first of all, is getting a rent roll, and some people might not know, you know, what a rent roll is, and a rent roll is just sort of a recording, right, Kevin, of the rents that are coming in per month, or the predicted rents that are coming in per per month, and on some smaller properties, you might have an older owner who's owned the property for a long period of time and they might not be it might not be tax savvy i know i've dealt with a few owners that are just don't know how to email or don't know how to fax or don't sorry not fax even scan a, a, a rent roll so is there a way that you can you know you said you're looking at the, the your data for, for for the local area but like i know i like to use rentometer.com as a way to get a gauge is there any other sort of websites out there that can give you a good gauge of what the local uh rent would be for say a, a two bedroom one bath uh apartment yeah, absolutely. There's 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 a bunch of resources out there, but my main resource is actually my broker. So you you should really, and this is a key point that I should, probably should have mentioned. You really have to get a great broker on the ground that is doing everything in your best interest. So a buying agent that has access to their local MLS, and for those who might not know what what an MLS is, it's a multiple listing service that's unique. To each market where agents share information about properties. It's where every property that a listing agent has access to lists their property for buying agents to find. So if you have a good broker that has access to that information and is knowledgeable, knowledgeable about the market, he's the first guy, I have a main guy where I work, and he's the first guy I talk to for his opinion on what he thinks the rents are, and then he can back it up with a lot of comparables from websites such as rentals.com, homes.com, Zillow, Trulia, realtor.com, hotpads, rentalhouses.com. I mean, there's, there's a plethora of really good websites out there. Um, if, if you want to look at, uh, so a lot of those websites list active listings. So while you can see where the market's at, you don't actually know um, how accurate that is in terms of closing those leases. Um, and so you, and so there's actually a few websites that access the MLS um, if you don't have an agent, um, like Rentometer, which I think you've mentioned, and Zippy.com. But my favorite is actually RealtyWebHomesForSale.com. That's RealtyWebHomesForSale.com. Yeah, so that, that has access to MLS data, and you can look at um, listings, current listings, as well as uh, leases that have sold, um, and you can put in you know certain criteria. 
and there's a, a, there's, there's a cool little map feature, so you can actually draw a circle on the area on the map that you want to analyze. So it's very user-friendly and kind of gives you a, a, a better kind of overall picture of what has sold and what's what's being listed right now sure. um, on the market. Awesome, awesome. So we, we've got our rent we've got our rent roll, and if you don't have your rent roll because you might be dealing with it, a really old owner who's selling the property, uh, you, you'd go and you'd, you'd, you'd find some data from your, your broker or some websites and you'd collate that, that data and you sort of then start to understand what's maybe the gross income of that you know, for a 10-unit property, right? So right. let's talk a little bit about how you talk about expenses because I know expenses are a little bit ambiguous and they, they can vary from property to property based on the age and based on you know just a bunch of things how how well the, the the owner has you know maintained the property so how do you like to approach it when you're looking at a property for the first time you've got the rents you understand that the rents are under market value maybe of Based on what the, the owner's given you, you know that you know the market rent is higher than what the property's been rented for. So how do you then go about looking at the expenses, and, and what are the typical expenses that you'd pay uh, for, say, a ten-unit property? The owner would the, the, the owner would pay, so the new landlord. Yeah, great question. So the seller can provide you with their expenses based on what they've recorded. You don't know if they've missed things or if they've embellished, or you, you really don't know what that is. So you really have to do your own research here. That's incredibly important. So the main expenses that I look at are uh, obviously the taxes and insurance on the property. Now you can, if you have a good relationship with an insurance broker, which I recommend every investor does, they can give you an insurance quote before you even make an offer on a property. Um, And that's really important because in markets that I buy in like Florida, there are flooding zones um, and those properties require additional insurance and that can often really affect your cap rate adversely. Whereas, you know, you might be like your example before, it's $1,600 of rent a month for a $100,000 property, which is obviously very low numbers because it's a very small property and wouldn't relate to a 10-unit property. But that might sound like it's a really good cap rate on paper, but then when you take into account um, the insurance, which could be really high because that property is in a flood area, your cap rate could be slashed in half. I've seen insurances that go from, let's say, Three and a half thousand a year for a six-unit property to nine, ten thousand dollars a year. So it's it can be a huge difference maker. So that's important um, to know that before we make an offer. In, uh, the taxes is very uh, easy to come by. It's public records online. But do your do your due diligence. Get the tax and and, and insurance information. And then I I like to give the eye test. So you know visit the property. Check out, um, you know, the, the, the if, if the property needs any basic upgrades, it's just cosmetic upgrades. Um, kind of use your experience based on your knowledge of properties in the area to kind of appreciate what kind of repairs it will need as an ongoing thing. I know just from owning a lot of property now what my expenses will run. So, you know, if you're a new investor, it's kind of difficult because you don't have that experience that. If you have a good broker, they should be able to put in touch with friends of theirs who are investors or try and get in touch with another investor in the market and kind of work out what kind of expenses. Um, but that's really just to get an idea and an average. And then you can make an offer on a property. And at that point, you usually have uh, 10 to 15 days um, contingency to perform your due, your, your due diligence. Um, and in that period, 
I would highly recommend that every investor does a four-point inspection report. Um, and that four-point inspection report will um, it's done by an external professional company that will provide um, information on the roof, um, the air and the heat systems, the electrical systems, and the plumbing. And they're the four biggest expenses you're ever going to come across in the long-term ownership of a property. So if any of those four come back um, adversely, I would I would take a second think about whether or not I'm going to pull out of that deal. They can they can lead to very large costs down the road. Now you can always go back to the seller and say, listen, this is what I've got my, for my four point inspection. I'd like to negotiate something on the sale price, or I want you to fix it before we close. Those things can all be done. Um, but I, I can't stress enough how important it is to know the status of those four things um, from an expense standpoint. Interesting. So just to recap there, you talked about um, insurance, which is really, really important and understanding, you know, being, getting relationships with the insurance brokers. Uh, you talked about taxes. We talked a little bit about maintenance, but, you know, there's, and we've got to tell everyone out there who's listening, there's a difference between maintenance and capital expenditure, which you would typically spend on the property at the beginning. Uh, and, you know, and and you know, both both probably Kevin and I identify properties that need a little bit of TLC. They're under market value. They're they're not rented to the to the maximum value. And that's what Kevin said before. The, what he brings to his investors is that he can you know go in there and do some tiling and or, you know do whatever and make the property look nicer, and then in, in turn probably rent it for a little bit longer. So you have the capital expenditure that you need to look out for. That could be repairs, and as Kevin said, you might uh, find in in the um, in the inspe- in the due diligence that you know the HVAC system might need repairing. Well, you can go negotiate a lower price. But then there's the day-to-day maintenance, and yearly maintenance. So, so Kevin, do you have a rule of thumb of of the rental income that you know you have tenants and they're renting and they they're going to scuff up the the floors or you know put put finger marks on the on the walls? What sort of how much would you allocate? Of, of a typical uh, apartment rent per month to just repairs and maintenance over the year and, and wear and tear? Yeah, that's a great question, Reid. So you did touch on capital expenditures versus regular maintenance, ongoing expenditures, and, and they're very important because that's how you ta- calculate your cap rate, obviously, with your net operating income divided by your purchase price. And net operating in- income is exactly how it sounds. It's what it costs you to operate the property day-to-day versus your upfront capital expenditure. So that's important to note from a cap rate perspective. And your operating expenses are your taxes, your insurance. Then I also like to calculate a 10% vacancy rate over the year. Um, I've never, I've never, I've never had that much of a vacancy rate, but I just like to be conservative. And then I do an average expense of around 8% uh, of my gross rent per year. Um, again, I've never reached that level, but you just have to be safe. You really don't want to not be conservative in that area, um, especially when you're comparing properties to properties. It's it's a very easy thing to just compare each, each property to each other. And then I I, I also calculate a five percent increase in taxes insurance year on year when I'm trying to look at long term um, returns um, to my properties. And then and then there's, I mean there's, there are other things that I'd like to include in the purchase price, which is the which is the other part of the cap rate, and that's closing costs, which can run up to about 2%. So I like to add that on top of my purchase price. 
to calculate my cap rate. But yeah, generally I like to do about 8% of my gross rent as expenses. Sure. And do you, another thing that I always tell my investors or just, you know, that's what I, what I do is because I'm an interstate investor like yourself, Kevin, is do you have like property management fees and that should be a line item, shouldn't it, if you're, if you're sort of outsourcing that to a third party property manager? Yeah, you're exactly right. I manage my own properties, so that isn't a factor for me. But okay. uh, if you did get a property management company, you would be paying on average about 10% of your gross rent every month. Wow, 10%. Okay, I'm not paying yeah. that much <laughs> in some of my properties, but maybe in Florida, it's a little bit more expensive. It's, uh, But yeah, 10%. Uh, it actually depends on the public property. So if, you're, if, if you own like an apartment complex with more units, then yeah, it's usually around 6%, maybe even lower. But if it's like a single family home to about eight units, they're probably going to charge about 10% wow. on average. Okay. So it's maintenance, insurance, property management fees, taxes. Uh, we all get, we're getting, this is this is the net operating incomes. We've got the NOI, right? And and we must, I must uh, stress that net operating income isn't, does not include the mortgage or the debt services that you're paying on the property. So you've got your gross exactly. income, yeah. your, your minus your expenses. That is then the NOI, the net operating income, and then from that you minus your um, your debt services to be left with cash flow, and um, and we can talk. We could have a whole another show about cash flow. But what I wanted to ask you was, once you've got your NOI, Kevin, uh, and you know the rough cap rate in the area, like because you just from your experience, could you then determine if you're paying too much for a property or too less for a property uh, based on what you think the NOI is going to be? Yeah. Um... It is, it is a, I mean, I use my cap rate to compare a lot of properties quickly. And then once I find a few properties that are on the market that fall within my cap rate range, within that threshold that I like, um, then, I, then I investigate further. And then I look at things like, what's my year one return? And that takes into account your debt service, so environmental factors. And that also includes my capital expenditure. So I'll look at a return uh, in terms of, um, how much money I put into the property in terms of my deposit because I always finance my properties. Um, and then I divide that by the income that I'm getting from the property as a net income, not operating income, just flat net income. So that takes out all expenses for the entire year and then divide that by how much money I put down. So that included the deposit, closing costs, capital, capital up front. Um, and then I come to a number that I'm comfortable with. And if it falls in that threshold again, then we then take a closer look at the things we mentioned before. What more specific expenses do we think it's going to be? If we're still in our range, I'll make an offer on a property and then do my due diligence, which includes the four-point inspection, which we talked about. Right. Interesting. And and you're, we just touched on a, an interesting topic there that it's the cash that you put into the property. So you, it might, the property might be $100,000 to buy it and you might have um, 10, and a net operating income of $10,000 a year. So you, you know your cap rate's pretty easy to, to work out. It's 10%. But you could then go a step further and say, well, hang on, I'm, getting, I'm going to get financing on this property and I'm only going to put 25% down, which is 25 grand. And you could look at the cash on cash return of that property, correct? And that would be a slightly different um, percentage and it would probably more likely be a higher percentage because if it's 10 grand divided by a, a lesser number, it's a higher percentage. But that's a different metric and, and, and people look at different metrics differently. So what, what's with your investors? Are you like, do you like to show them the cap rate or do you like to show them the cash on cash return of what their money they put into the property? I like to show both because the cap rate is important because you can compare different investments together with a cap rate 
And so it doesn't just relate to real estate. And so people can, especially people who are investors who aren't necessarily real estate experts, they can look at a cap rate and kind of compare to their other investors, investors that, that, that they may be doing at the time. And then from a cash-on-cash return perspective, yeah, that's really important because that's taking into account all of our environmental factors, which changes from property to property, owner to owner, because I can get a better financing deal because I have a better relationship, better credit than someone else, et cetera, et cetera. So they're all variables, but very important information. But I, yeah, I definitely like to share that with my investors. Sure, and sure. And the the other thing that I and that's what I love about multifamily uh, investing is that you know you've got this NOI at the beginning of the of as you said year say year one, but then as the property stabilizes, you put a bunch of work into it because you know it just needed a little bit of TLC, and it's taken a year for tenants to move out, then to do the the rehab of the property. How do you like to then see that that you can oh once you start projecting over years three, years four, years five, that value of increasing that NOI and and then sort of that how that then relates to you forcing the value of the property. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Uh, yes. Are you talking about like income increasing the overall value of the property long term? Yeah, exactly. Like so, you might per- pick it up at you know it might be worth X when you pick it up, and you know the rents are under market value, but because you've gone in there and you've improved the, the each apartment, you can then charge more in, in rent. And then that, because you're charging more, you're, you're increasing the net operating income. You, you might also decrease the operating expenses, and that all relates to your NOI. And if that NOI is continuing to increase, then you know the banks would hopefully like to say that your property is then increasing in value, which is really, really powerful. Yeah, yeah I see what you mean now. Yeah, you're exactly right. The, the difference between investing in a multifamily home versus a single-family home is that you're selling to investors. So uh, multifamily homes are generally less reliant on market changes, less less dependent. And so you, you as, a, as an investor have a better control over the value because buyers of your investment property are investors themselves and they're buying based on the income, um, which multifamily homes provide, which is a pro compared to what single family homes provide. Um, so with that control, like you talked about, um, increasing that net operating income over time, the cap rate, you actually want to sell it at a lower cap rate than what you bought it at, because then that'll, that'll increase the sale price based on the income. And of course, like you mentioned, the cap rate is based on your net operating income, which is very important. So yeah, those controlling factors, if you've managed to increase over time, um, and, you know, increase your income and reduce your expenses, then absolutely, yeah, the, the value of a property will, will will definitely go up. Yeah, fantastic. So we we got we got some some pretty off into the weeds there, but I want to just sort of you know really emphasize to those listeners out there just how why you and I both as Australians, not from America, just love the this multifamily class of investment because I know in Australia you know you, you couldn't necessarily maybe go and buy just a 10 plex or a 20 plex it's a little bit different so really wrapping your head around the value of buying the whole property as a whole and then using that uh, the, the cash flow um, to force the value but Kevin I wanted to also ask you a little bit about you know this show is all about helping international investors start successfully in the US and you've given some incredible information to everyone out there are you working with anyone who's a foreign national right now buying US real estate? Um, no, I actually just mainly work with American investors. I, I, I did try that route at one point. Um, and I think at the time, it was a difficult time. Um, there, was, there was not much trust in the US market this was back in 2009. Um, but now I can imagine a lot of Australian investors would be very interested in, 
investing in the U.S. It's much more stable than what it was back then. There's there's a plethora of U.S. investors ready to ready to execute now. Um, so that's so that's kind of my main pool of investors. Yeah, would be U.S. residents. Fantastic, and yeah, I'm sure you're offering them some cracking deals that they probably can't find themselves. And as you as you as you said before, you've got some. Sounds like you've got some pretty good relationships with some brokers in in uh, in Florida, and they're giving you some some good deals. So so well done. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the relationships you have with your insurance broker, with your mortgage broker, your real estate broker are all very important. You've 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 obviously got to have a good handyman on the ground that can do the day to day kind of jobs fixes whatever that needs to be done i think i i think the biggest value is my my local market knowledge and and the track record that i've been able to, to put together that is very valuable to investors and they kind of like to see that you know and just just the ability to be able to evaluate a property and know when you can increase income and when you can't and know when the expenses are running way too high for a property so you can come in and change that i mean having that knowledge has yeah really helped Build confidence with my investors in what I'm doing. Fantastic, mate. Well, big, uh, big pat on the back. Good on you, because uh, it's no easy task um, taking other people's <laughs> money and, and investing and, and showing a track record. You know, so 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 good stuff, mate. <laughs> Cheers, mate. Uh, so, Kevin, with all your experience buying multifamily properties here in the United States, I know you're primed to give me a top five investing tips. You ready to get into it? Sure, mate. Let's do it. What's your most successful habit that you practice to keep on track towards your goals? You know, I like I like to always be analyzing at least one deal. Um, often I've got two or three on the go, but I like to have one where I'm at least um, getting my broker to take a look at it or talking to the seller about negotiations or something like that. I've always got something that's kind of in the in the in the works. Um, I feel like I, I start to get a little antsy when there's nothing going on. Even if the property I know I'm not going to buy, I just kind of like to have it, you know, moving and learning. Right. And, and is that what, what once a week you're doing that or once a day or once every two weeks? What's what's the sort of average rate? Um, yeah, I'm looking at a deal once every couple of weeks. I mean, that's the thing with real estate. You've really got to be patient with all deals. It takes a while for the seller's broker to get back to you, the seller gets back to you with your questions. I just like to have things in the works. Um, but, I mean, I'm looking at property every day. Uh, I've got a really great broker that sends me a report of all the MLS listings in the market that I like um, that has a list of properties that are well within my um, wheelhouse um, of properties I like to buy and that are either listed that day or, or have had a price change um, that day or have come back on the market, which often happens, um, a contract falls through. So I get that report every day, you know, I check it out. I'd, I'd love to just, you know, run a little analysis with my spreadsheets and just take a look. And yeah, I, you know, I, I think as long as you, you know, you're constantly learning, you've got, you know, you're always looking at new deals. I think, yeah, that's, you're on the right track. Awesome, mate. Awesome. So what's the most influential tool you use in your real estate business and why? I know you'd have one. Um, you know, I think I've mentioned it a few times. You just got to have a really good broker. You've got to have a really good relationship with your broker because they've got to have your best interests at heart. Um, they've got to understand what you want and why you want it. Um, they've got to give you the right information. Um, they've got to be readily available and they've got to be honest with you. You've got to have a, yeah, I mean, I think, I think that's really key. Um, I, I wouldn't be anywhere without my uh, broker in, 
in Florida. He's done a lot for me. Right, and I know Rich Dad Poor Dad or Robert Kiyosaki, the author of Rich Dad Poor Dad, always says to pay your brokers really well because they're the guys that bring you all the cracking deals. So uh, yeah, absolutely, <laughs> they're, they're definitely one of the uh, the most influential people on your on your sort of A team, so to speak. So um, good stuff, mate. Um, what's the most exciting project you're working on right now? Oh wow, great question. I am under contract with a 76 unit building in uh, Sacramento, California. That we are looking to close pretty soon. Uh, that's really exciting. It's one of the bigger deals we've done. Um, it's, it, it, it's a syndicated deal. It's a, it's a funky kind of option to buy kind of deal, but it was really fun to, fun to negotiate. It's cool. Huge amount of upside. It just needs a lot of cosmetic upgrades. And, and kind of the difference between this kind of thing, like a larger com- complex and a multifamily that I really want to mention, is that it, it is very important you look at the rent rolls for something that size because it's much more difficult to come in and make wholesale changes to the rental income. Whereas like a four to 10 unit building, you do have that control. But something that's much larger, yeah, you do have to rely on the rent rolls a lot more. And that's, and that's essentially what you're selling it on. So uh, often a seller will put in a pro forma, which is what they anticipate the rents will get to in a year or two, and they will actually sell it on a pro forma cap rate. Right, right. And I think the the biggest takeaway from that, your advice just there on some larger units, and in my experience when dealing with the larger units, information is more readily available typically right. rather than you're sort of not trying to get blood out of a stone uh, with some some owners of, of smaller right. properties. So, yeah, those larger, for everyone listening out there, larger units or, you know, 30, 50, 60, 100, typically they're, they're marketed as well. So there'll be a package put together from the broker. But um, awesome stuff, mate. I'd love to hear more about this uh, this deal in Sacramento. It'd be nice in, in your backyard nearly. It would be a too far drive from San Francisco. Yeah, it's about an hour and a half in the traffic. And good, it's good right stuff. there next to Tahoe. So you can get a nice, you get a nice snowboard or ski in, <laughs> uh, in the afternoon. Good stuff. So you that. Know, you're offering that, right, to me? <laughs> right, <laughs> sure. Yeah, 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 sure. <laughs> Mate, uh, a couple more questions. Is who's the most influential person in your career to date? Wow, that's a tough question. Yeah, I've had a, I've had a lot of people come and go that have been really influential. Uh, there is I won't mention by name, but there is there is a person that um, he isn't necessarily a guru in real estate, but he is a he's very experienced in investing in general, and he's a he's a venture capitalist and he's and he's done a lot of entrepreneurial things. And I come to him with questions and. And he and, and he usually has some pretty good insights um, for me, and you know I've I've followed his his advice a lot, and it's definitely worked out the best. So, yeah, I mean it's, I think having someone like that as kind of a mentor-ish person is is, is really vital. Fantastic. You can't you can mention the name if you want. We're, we're not shameless pl- plugging here. We, no, <laughs> no, this this will, this will go straight to this guy's head. Absolutely. I don't want to. I don't want to. <laughs> All right. I'll, I'll, I'll take you on that, mate. Last question is, uh, the best US deal you've completed to date? That's probably one of my first, actually. After I told the story, I, after I left the flipping foreclosure business, I, I was looking for my first multifamily. And um, the broker that I use now that I've been talking about the whole time, he, um, he had a friend who worked at a company that bought um, portfolios of single-family homes. And they, as part of his portfolios that the bank sold him, there was a multifamily they just didn't want to deal with. It was a four-unit building. And as you know, anything four units and under is uh, residential financing, so much, much better term. I was able to secure this place for $400,000. It's literally on the water. It's now maybe tripled in price since then. Um, 
and my my interest rate is four percent fixed for thirty years. I mean, expenses are nothing, and yeah, it's just it's an absolute gem. I mean, and that, and that really set me up. Um, I was able to use equity in that property on on other deals, and that kind of really set me up. I mean, I definitely got lucky. There's no question. I just right place at the right time. Um, but that one, that one really set me up well. Awesome. Um, yeah. Well done. Well yeah. done. And it was that was that the, one of the first properties that set you on track to uh, leaving your day job and becoming a full time investor. You're exactly right. That one, and then I think about six months later, I I, I quit advertising and started doing this full time. And so yeah, that you're right. That that was the catalyst. Yeah. How long ago did you pick that one up from? Uh, how long ago did you pick it up? Um, 2010. Cool, cool, man. And mate, where can people reach you to continue the conversation? Uh, sure, yeah, they can uh, reach me at my uh, company email address, which is kevin.tracy, and that's T-R-A-C-E-Y, at oleanderinvestments.com. And that's O-L-E-A-N-D-E-R investments.com. Fantastic, and we'll put all that in the show notes, and and all, all the all the links that uh, Kevin has mentioned in the show notes. So just jump on my website, and you'll be able to find his information there. Well, Kevin, you've provided some absolutely incredible information on how to better analyze deals, um, and just to quickly summarize on what we went through, we talked about gross rental income. We caught, talked about a couple of the red flags you need to look out for when analyzing rent rolls. Um, and if you don't have a rent roll, a couple of the websites you can jump on and check out, and, and really having good knowledge of your local market. Uh, we went, then went into sort of understanding some expenses uh, and what you sort of typically will expect to see on a multifamily deal and, and understanding the value of that NOI and the net operating income and, and how to force that uh, when you're looking at certain deals. So, mate, thanks for dropping by and chatting with us. Have a great rest of your week and we'll catch up soon. No problem, Ray. Thanks so much, mate. Well, there you have it, a great insight into understanding how to analyze multifamily deals correctly and what are the red flags to look out for. Now, make sure you check out all the show notes for a summary of today's conversation with Kevin and any links we mentioned on today's show. As always, a summary of my conversation will go up on my website at rsnpropertygroup.com. Just remember to click on the podcast tab. And I know Kevin did mention a ton of awesome little websites, so I really will make sure I'll go back through this episode and pull them all out for you so you can go back and click on those and check out just you know how he's looking at different markets across the country and, and getting a better understanding of rents and expenses and stuff like that. Whilst you're there, you know, sign up for one of my newsletters so we can keep up to date on all the latest deals that RSM Property Group uh, are doing and we're working on right now. We also do have a wine and cheese networking events that we host in uh, downtown LA. If you're ever in the LA area, you know, it's a great way to meet other um, like-minded investors and entrepreneurs. But uh, thanks again for taking some time out of your day to tune in and continue to grow your real estate investing knowledge as that's what we're all about here on this show, continuing to grow your financial IQ. You can always continue the conversation with myself and see what deals I'm doing by going to my website and as I said, signing up for one of my newsletters or you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter by searching RSM Property Group. And uh, remember, if you do like this show, just leave a five-star iTunes review below. Uh, It really would appreciate it and it helps us grow our community of international listeners eager to invest in the US. We're going to do this all again next week. So take care, be safe, and remember, happy investing.